You know, I love, I love worship. I love being at this church. You guys have some of the best volunteers here. Everyone running tech back there, set up, tear down people. Which, do you guys set up and tear down in the summer? No, because there's no... During summer, you do? No? You don't? Yeah, because there's no school, so... That's awesome. Uh, but the best volunteers here, Pastor Rod's amazing. Thank you so much for welcoming me. And, uh, and I just love worship. Worship was great today. I got to stand next to Jillian, which if you ever want to be humbled, like, I'm not a good singer. So whenever I stand, I feel like I'm a good singer when I'm in, like, in it, when I'm in the moment. But then I, when you're sitting next to someone who's like actually a good singer, like you realize how bad you actually are. Like one time I was doing worship. I was at you know, Mariners with my wife and uh, worship was going and they were doing Oceans. And I, I felt like I was in the ocean. I mean, I was like, I was in it. I was full on in it. And she like taps me. She's like, are, are, you, are you joking? Or, and I'm like, yeah, I'm worshiping. She's like, oh, I thought that was like a bit you were doing because I'm that bad. I'm that bad. My wife doesn't even take me seriously. So uh, I'm Justin and I was a youth pastor for a really long time. And, you know, yeah, just like she said, a few of students send them on Wednesday. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. And I do a podcast now, which has been a huge blessing and a whole lot of fun. I've worked with Jillian. Um, but most importantly, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. My fam, my wife loves Jesus. We're raising our kids to love Jesus. I got the, the empty tomb haircut. Like I'm sold out for the Lord in a serious way. And, and I'm excited to talk today because we're going to talk about wisdom. We're going to talk about something that we don't, we don't normally think about. We kind of think we kind of have it and we don't talk about that often. We're going to talk about wisdom today. And this is a note-taking lesson. So if you have paper, pen, you don't want to take notes, there'll be a lot of stuff on the screen. I want to start here. When's a time that you have watched someone else, not you of course, someone else go down a predictable path? You've watched someone else go down a, a predictable path for a minute. You kind of can see into the future, not that you have a superpower, but like you have enough experience behind you, enough life behind you, that you see the path they're going down, and for a moment you can predict what's going to happen because you've been there, you've done it, you kind of know. When I was a kid, I used to love climbing trees. Most boys like to climb trees, and there's a huge tree out front of my house, so I would climb it all the time. My friends would climb it. I'd only go up to a certain height out of fear, um, and you know, which usually kept me safe. But this one day in particular, uh, there was this girl that was there from my neighborhood, even at a young age, like I wanted to keep my options open, and I thought she might have been a great option for me. And I wanted to impress her by going even higher into the tree. And I'm, so I'm climbing the tree, climbing the tree, my friends are around, like cheering me on, and my mom sees from the window what is happening, comes outside, like all Jewish mothers, and says, you know, Justin, you need to get down from there, and and I said, you know, what you're doing, that's not wise. And I looked at her and I was like, you know, it's not wise for me to come down. Like, my friends are cheering me on, you know, beautiful girls here. Like, I got to keep going. And so I just keep climbing, keep climbing, and then boom, grab a branch, snaps, fall, break my arm, okay? I'm crying there, definitely not what I wanted the girl to see. And it was super embarrassing. Went to the hospital, got a cast the whole nine yards. Came home, and I'm just talking to my mom, we're watching a movie, whatever. And I'm like, mom, how'd you know I was going to fall out of the tree? You know, because like, you know, look at me. I was so, you know, I got a big head of hair back then. I did, you know, muscle. You know, how could you have thought that I was going to fall out of the tree? And my mom says, well, you know, come, come over here, come over here. And she turned her arm around. I don't normally look at the back of my mom's arms. Turned her arm around. She kind of flattened out the wrinkles. And she showed me a scar that was on the back of her arm. And she said, I knew you were going to fall out of the tree because when I was your age, I was climbing a tree just like that. And I went up too high and I grabbed a branch that I thought was stronger than it was. And I fell out of that tree too. And I broke my arm. That's how I knew that it was going to happen to you because I have done it. Now, here's the thing about wisdom, okay? Wisdom is not something that you're born with. 
You're not born being wise. You learn to be wise. You learn to be wise because you surround yourself with other wise people, because you pursue the journey of being wise. You learn from people who are wise, who have wisdom. Now, here's the hardest thing. Nobody wants to hear that something that is sometimes subjective, you know, well, what is wisdom? You know, that I, you know, I kind of feel like I have it. I've lived some life. I have some experience behind me. I've made a lot of mistakes, learned from that. So I feel like I have wisdom. People don't like hearing that they may not have the wisdom they thought they had. They may not be on the path that they think that they're on. You know, here's the thing. I don't know exactly, you know, what your story is. If you're young, if you're old, if you're, if you go to church all the time, if you're offended by my tattoos, if you have a big thick black Bible. Like, I don't know if you come here all the time or if it's your first time or if someone kidnapped you an hour ago, put a bag over your head, drove you here, dumped you out. You don't know where you are, how to get home. Like, I don't know what your story is. But I know that every single person needs the life skill of wisdom because wisdom is a skill of living. You know, if you're taking notes, write that down. Because even in the Old Testament, they understood that wisdom was a skill of living. They used this word to describe wisdom. Okay? Very simple word. And it described not only the moral side of wisdom, but it described the skill side of wisdom, the practical side. So, you know, they, they would use this word. It was called chokma. Okay, it was a Hebrew word, chokma. And chokma was essentially was a description of wisdom. Now, they cut that into two different categories. Category one was like the, the skill side of wisdom. So you're a carpenter or a builder, a stonemason. You have a professional skill. You're wise in your skill. But then there is a moral side of chokma. That is, you know, you make the right decisions. You may be a great builder. You have the chokma of wise building, be a great builder. But if you're a dishonest businessman, you do not have chokma, wisdom in the moral side of your life. So you can be, have chokma, have this great skill professionally, but yet lack morally. You don't have moral wisdom. And there's a different word they use to describe those people because while they may have professional chokma, they actually have a moral eval. Now, that's transliterated to the, we use the word evil. It's actually the word that describes the fool. So they may be very wise in what they do professionally, but yet the moral part of their life, the personal part of their life, they lack wisdom. They're evil. They make the wrong decisions every time. They don't learn from their mistakes. They don't surround themselves with the right people. See, even in the Old Testament, they understood this. So when we talk about wisdom, this isn't just like something I came up with. If, if this is something I just came up with, I would be so rich. It would be awesome because everyone would want to hear about this. Because I know that because back in the Old Testament, everybody wanted to hear about this. They wanted to get an understanding of it. Well, why? Well, because most people could look around and see when people were doing dumb stuff. You know, there was this guy, we're going to kind of get to this journey of wisdom, we're going to start at the beginning of this journey. There's a guy named David. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, King David, we're all familiar with the story of David and Bathsheba, right? You know that story, read that to your kids at night. Do not read that story to your kids at night, okay? Story of David and Bathsheba, the nation of Israel cried out for a king. We want a king, we want a king. Everyone else had kings. The king of Israel was supposed to be God. He was the head of, you know, of the people of Israel. He was the leader of Israel. But they were all like, no, 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 we don't want God. Everyone else has like a human king, like you know, a guy we can follow. That's what we want. So the nation of Israel wanted a human king. That's what they wanted, and that's what they got. They got a guy named Saul, who was great at first, kind of turned out to be a little bit of a scumbag. Then they got David after Saul, and saw David was, you know, he was great. Everyone thought he was awesome, slayed Goliath, had a great reputation. But then he started to make mistakes later in his life. You know, chapter 11 talks about David. When all the kings were off at war, David stayed back at the kingdom. 
And you already know, like, something's going to happen. When all the kids are off at school, my kid stays at home. Like, you know something. When, when everyone is, like, out of the fishing trip, you stay at the lodge. Like, when all the, you know, the women are at the Bible study, you're, you know, in the parsonage. You know, I, you know, I don't know. When, like, when everyone's doing what normally should be done, this one person's doing the opposite. So you know something's up. And he's standing there at the lattice of his window in his kingdom, and he's looking out at the kingdom, and he sees a woman bathing on the roof of her house and says, I want to spend time with her. Brings her over, Netflix, the rest is history, and bing, bang, boom, they get the kind of word back, David gets the word back, that he is going to be the father of Bathsheba's son. Big deal. It's a big problem because Bathsheba is married, by the way. It's a big problem. So what does David do? Well, he did what any wise king would do, plot the guy's murder. That's exactly what he did. It's insane, right? He had uh, Uriah come back from war, which where all the other kings, all the soldiers were, call him back from war, hoping it would all work out. It didn't work out because Uriah was a man of character. He said, if all my friends are out in the battlefield sleeping in the dirt, how can I sleep in bed with my wife? I'm going to stay in the dirt, and like that's going to be the deal. And so David had to figure out what he was going to do. So he wrote a little letter. Can you imagine this? Do you know what I'm saying? This says, wrote a letter sealed it with the king's seal, handed it to Uriah, and in the letter said, you know, to the general who's going to receive the letter, the man who bears this letter put him at the front of the battle lines, knowing that that would cost him his life. That's what David did. Sent a man to his death. Now, David thought everything was fine. He totally figured it out. Totally cool. No one's going to know. And one of David's closest friends came and talked to him, a guy named Nathan, is what it says in 2 Samuel chapter 12. I'm paraphrasing this. Nathan came, found David, and said, David, I need to tell you this story. You're not going to believe this story, David. There's this guy. He's the head of this very poor family. They have this one goat, and they love this goat. This one goat sits at their table with them. This one goat plays with them, frolics with them in the grass, whatever. This one goat sleeps in bed with them. Have you ever loved a goat so much you let it sleep in bed with you? That's how much his family loved this one goat. Sleeps in bed with them. And his neighbor, the rich man, has everything. Many goats, many sheep, many bulls, many cows, all these animals. And the rich man had a visitor come to town. And the rich man, instead of killing and and serving, preparing an animal from his vast collection of animals, took the one goat from his poor neighbor, killed the goat, prepared it, served it to the guest. And David was enraged. And he got a little bit over the top. He said, we're going to, this guy deserves to die for what he did. We're going to find him. We're going to kill this guy. That's what he deserves. And in the one of the most beautiful moments in the Bible, Nathan looks at David and says, David, you are that man. You are him, David. You're the guy that took Uriah's wife. He had one wife. You have like a ton of wives, a ton of concubines. I don't even know if you have time for that. You have everything. And you took Uriah's one wife. You are him. You know, very few of us get the blessing of being confronted by a friend for the foolish things that we do. Now, I don't know who in here has had that blessing. I've had it a number of times. Friends that really know you, that care about you, who are willing to come to you and say, you know, you might think you're pulling the wool over everyone else. You might think you got away with it. You did not get away with it. What you did is wrong, and you didn't know that it's wrong. And that's what Nathan offered to David. And out of the chaos of that entire situation comes Solomon, David's son. Now, Solomon, having grown up kind of hearing the story of how he came to be, you know, kind of experiencing being the son of the king, living in the kingdom, it was time now for Solomon to take over and to become king. And this is what it says. I'm going to read a couple verses for you. It's going to be right, uh, it's not going to be on the screen, um, but I'm referencing 1 Kings chapter 3. I'm going to read a couple verses. What it says in verse number 9. Now, the, he is talking to God, you know, sharing with him what he wants, and this is how God, um, this is the interaction. 
So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and distinguish between right and wrong. Solomon's saying, God, this is what I want. I want you to give me an ability to discern right from wrong. That's the gift I want you to give me. God offered to give him a gift. And this is what the, the Lord replied. He was pleased with what Solomon said. This is what it says in the verse. Since you've asked for this and not for, by the way, these are all the things I would ask for. You didn't ask for long life wealth for yourself, that would be awesome, Uh, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, Jillian, uh, or, uh, but I'm just kidding, I love Jillian, of death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you've asked. And verse 14, and if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, we know all the mistakes that David made, even though he made all those mistakes, God looks at him after a man after God's own heart. I will give you long life. And you know what's so great about this? Immediately Solomon takes what he's learned and puts it into action. You know, did anyone know the baby cutting in half story in the Bible? Anyone not know that story, baby cutting in half story? Yeah, I don't know. This is a great story. You're going to love this story. So there was a crazy woman, okay, a completely crazy woman in the Bible. I don't know if anyone knows any crazy women, but there's a crazy woman in the Bible. And this crazy woman went to this other woman and said, hey, your kid is actually my kid. I want you to give me your kid. And the the normal, totally level-headed woman is like, you're crazy. This is my kid. I'm not giving you my kid. And this whole thing goes back and forth, back and forth. They eventually get to King Solomon later in that chapter, later in chapter three. And the crazy woman says, that's my kid. I need her to give me the kid. And I'm going to take it, and she's keeping him, and we got to figure this out. And Solomon, in his wisdom, you know, most people wouldn't know what to do in that situation, says, you know what we should do? I have the answer. Bring me a sword, the sharpest sword. Bring it to me. We're going to cut this kid in half, and both of you will walk away with half the baby. And the crazy woman is like, that's a great idea. You know, less clothes, less food. You know, this is going to be, this is a genius idea. And the normal woman, the mom, said, you know what? Let her have the kid. It's better for the kid to live than for the kid to die. And in that moment, Solomon, having the gift of wisdom, discernment, could look past the obvious to what was happening here and knew that the woman who was willing to, to give her kid away, that was the real mother. The crazy woman, she was crazy. Now, here's the thing about wisdom. It gives us the chance to look past the obvious into a situation. And true wisdom is your ability to take yourself out of a situation and peer in and see all the different factors, all the different things at play, and be able to make a wise choice. Now, it's so hard for us to do that. It's so hard for us to do that. You know, it's hard for us to take the step back and experience all the things that, you know, that God is doing at work or all the things that our circumstances are doing at work and be able to make a decision. It's hard for us to take a step back and say, okay, what is the wise thing for me to do? You know, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is a great verse. We're going to focus on the latter part, but I want to put it on the screen real quick. Trust in the Lord. Have you ever heard this verse before? It's so good. Solomon wrote it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Now, for some of us, that sounds pretty fairly easy, right? Trust in the Lord. Okay, I know what it means to trust. Trust in the Lord. That's great. Lean out of my own understanding. Okay, I make mistakes a lot. So maybe instead of saying, oh, I got all the answers, you know, close my mouth and open my ears and listen to what God has to say. Maybe he has better solutions than I have. Pretty simple stuff. Here's the second part of the verse. Verse six, we're going to try and understand a little bit today. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. You know what's so difficult about this? The idea of seeking his will, and that there's a right path. It it gives this this place where you make changes. you You make changes, and then you can make mistakes, and you can work your way out of those mistakes. You know the hardest thing? The hardest thing is is getting the idea that you could be going on the wrong path without even knowing it. 
You know, some people don't like change. You know, some people, like, these are the seats you've been sitting in since, like, the church started. Like, I, respect, I totally respect that. I go to restaurants, I get the same thing often. I actually like to, I'm a creature of habit, but yet I really like change. I brought, like, four shirts with me. I didn't know which one to wear. I change it between services. Because I like change, okay? I like change. God likes change, too. Jesus modeled change for us. You know, when you were a young Hebrew boy, a young Jewish boy, your only goal, your family's goal was for you to be picked up by a rabbi and taught the ways of the law so that you would one day be a rabbi and then one day have your own school. Like it's, it's, the, it's a career that keeps on paying because families want to get their kids in their school. They pay the money for the school. It's kind of a private school system. And then you get paid for that. And it's this ongoing, you know, lifelong journey of making money. And it's a career. It's a business. And so for a lot of young men who were passed over in their early years, it was a real big disappointment to them because they were passed over and they didn't go into the rabbinic school. They didn't follow a rabbi. So they just kind of got caught up in whatever the family trade was. You didn't go to college and say, oh, what do I want to do? Oh, I like art. Oh, I'll be a painter. Like, it wasn't like that. Okay, it's it's insane. It was, you'd find out what your dad did and you'd do kind of what your dad did. He was a fisherman, you'd be a fisherman. If he was a stonemason or an iron worker, like he would teach you that trade and kind of hand off the family business, maybe you'd expand it, but maybe it would just kind of serve to afford for your family and, you know, whoever. And so when Jesus showed up and started going to a bunch of middle-aged guys and saying, hey, I want you to drop your nets. I want you to come follow me. It was the most insane change that you could bring into that culture. And they were looking at him like, wait, wait, hold on. I was passed over when I was a kid. Like, you know, I had the chance to follow a rabbi and he passed over. That's why I'm a fisherman now. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. I'm the rabbi and I want you to drop what you're doing. Come follow me. I'm going to teach you a new way. Think of that change when Jesus rolled in with his 12 disciples and then there's rabbi whoever over there with his like 12, you know, you know teenage, you know, pupils all with the, you know, curls and the, the whole, you know, outfit and the whole thing. And here comes Jesus' disciples with calluses on their hands and ripped clothes and like, hey, we're following our rabbi. Like it was such a change because we are the only ones who think the path we're on is a path we always have to be on. Jesus is the one who knows that you can change the path that you're on. You don't have to keep going down the exact same road, that he will show you which path to take, meaning you can be on the wrong one without even knowing it. You know, here's, here's what I absolutely love about God's word, that, that when we speak to wisdom, we talk about two ingredients I think are really important, time and experience. Now, where most people really want a prescription to wisdom, all I have to offer is a proverb of wisdom. And when it comes to time and experience, um, the, you know, I have been the person that has looked back on my life, not with regret. Like, I, I feel like there's like, I'm so gun shy about this apology culture that I think we live in now. That if we have made a mistake 20 years ago, like it has to destroy our careers and our lives. Like we have to be sorry for everything we ever did and everything we ever said. I'm not sorry for that stuff. Oh, yeah, I made mistakes. I totally own it. I learned from it. But here's the true gift of wisdom. Not just learning from our mistakes, but being able to learn from other people's mistakes. You know, wisdom comes with time and experience. And for young people, you don't have a lot of time. You don't have a lot of experience. Now, for some young people, they may not have a lot of time, but they have experience. You remember when I was a kid, my parents got divorced when I was eight. 
You know, I was standing in welfare lines with my mom. I figured, a lot of, uh, figured out a ton about how the government worked when you're sitting in welfare lines and food stamp lines. You learned a lot about, you know, how to deal with people when you're sitting with a cashier trying to figure out, okay, what's the cash payout of our food and then what's the food stamp total? And you learn a lot about managing money and managing expectations. You have to put the Oreos back and put the Cool Whip back. I was a really unhealthy eater. And so you have to put all these things back. You learn a lot. So you may get a lot of experience at a young age, but not have a lot of time behind it. And that's okay. It's okay. But wisdom comes with time and experience. So when James talks about, and this is the verse, if you need wisdom, ask your generous God, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. You know, I went, went to the beach yesterday, which was awesome, by the way. And we were leaving my house. I live in Riverside. We were going down to Corona Del Mar. And I live about two miles away from the ninety-one. And we're about a mile away from the 91, and my kid starts asking, are we there yet? And I already know this is going to be the day from hell. And so we get, to, we get on the 91, and we get to around the Corona, like uh, um, Green River exit. And I turn to my wife, and I'm like, hey, babe, you know, you know, you're young, I'm young. We need to have other kids. Like, let's just leave them. Like, we don't need to deal with this all the way to Orange County, which I'm joking about. We did not leave our kid. But, you know, they, you ask all these, you're a kid, you ask all these questions. We learn that we get rebuked by adults when we ask things that we should know the answers to. Or things that it's like, you don't need to know that. It's not important. But yet God says, you know what, it's important you ask for wisdom. It doesn't matter if you're young. Doesn't matter if you're old. Doesn't matter if you have a lot of time and experience. Doesn't matter if you don't. That when you go to God and you say, listen, I don't know, but I need to know. And can you help me? He's not looking at you saying, oh man, here he is again. I can't believe he didn't learn. That's not what he's saying. He's actually excited that you're there. He get, thinks of, think of the person who, when you ask our generous God, he's willing to, think of the generous person who's willing to give. The person that, you know, I never went to camp if it wasn't for generous people. You know, I had a single mom. So think of those generous people who are like, man, I want to get him to camp. Let me write a check. Like, think of the generous people. They're just, they're always willing to give. Like, they, when you go to them and say, oh, you know, can you please help? Like, you know, I, I, so I hate to ask. And they're sitting there like, no, I want you to ask because I want to help because I'm generous. That's who our God is. You know, I look back, I'm 34, and I look back at 24, and knowing what I know now, would I do things differently? Of course I would do some things differently, but I don't regret the things that I did. You know, when I was 24, I couldn't imagine 34. I thought, you know, I thought I'd be dead by 34, to be honest with you. I couldn't imagine 34, but I look back at 14, and I was like, man, I would have done a lot different. When I was 14, I couldn't imagine 24 being an adult. Like, you have to tuck your shirt in a ton. Like, I didn't understand what being an adult was like. I had all these misconceptions. I'm 34. Man, looking ahead at 44, I can't even imagine. 54, I can't even imagine what that path is going to look like. Some of you are there. And you look back the same way and say, man, there's things, yeah, I would do them differently, but I don't regret what I did. It's not about just, it's not about regretting what you did. It's not about just learning from your mistakes, but being willing to look at the mistakes of others and learn a lesson from it. You know, if you ask Solomon, well, how can you determine the wise and the unwise person? How do you determine the wise person and the fool? Because this is what Proverbs talks about. It talks about the wise person and the fool. How do you determine the wise person and the fool? And this is what Solomon would say. He would say how he or she receives instruction and correction. So I put a bunch of example verses on there. I'm going to leave it up for a second. Feel free to write some of those down, do some of your own research. But when I think of a wise person, this is what I think of. I think of the person who listens without being defensive. I think of the person who accepts responsibility without blame. They own it. I think of the person who changes without delay. 
that doesn't, you know, listen to something and say, you know what, I, 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 I love you, wife, I love you, husband, I, I love you, trusted friend, but you know, let me ask a couple people, you know, you've been right about a lot, but it, you know, now you're giving me criticism, and you could be wrong on that, I mean, that might be the only thing you're wrong on, because I'm awesome, and so let me ask some other people, no, no, the wise person listens without delay and changes, not for any person, so I wouldn't go to a Starbucks and the Starbucks person say, hey, stranger, uh, I just, I, yeah, I have this feeling from the Lord that you are blah, blah, blah. I'm not talking about that, okay? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the people who know you best, being able to speak into your life, and are you wise enough to listen and not defend? We just live in this defensive culture where we just, you know, everything's a personal attack when it's not. Jesus was not personally attacking his disciples. He was correcting them. I I think I would rather be corrected by someone who loves me than be passed over um, by someone who loves me. Because that loving person either knows that I'm receptive to hear it or, yeah, I love them and they're great, but man, they never listen. So, and so what we end up doing is say, well, you know, we just got to love them the way they are. Take them or leave them. I used to be one of those people. 100%. Any, talk to anyone who really knows me. I'm not talking like really knows me. I totally was one of those people. That if you talk to a room full of people, half the room loves me, half the room hates me, there's no one in the middle because I just have a strong personality, I am the way I am. And then the people who loved me, you know, I wasn't willing to listen to their advice. So they're like, okay, we love Justin, we're just going to deal with him the way he is. You know, he's just not going to change. That is the sign of a fool. The fool is the person who resists change. They can't, they, they can't ever listen to the people. They can't ever listen to the people believing that the solution is in the room. The, the problem, the solution has to be somewhere out there. You know, it's a, it's a, you know, a fousey, a fakazi. Like it's, you know, you know, you know it's, a, it's a make-believe, you know, butterfly out there somewhere and you just got to find it. it maybe the, the problem is, is sitting in the chair you're in. The fool cannot accept that. There's got to be a reason. There's got, there's got to be an explanation. Let me, the, the, the situation, you just don't understand. If, if only you were there. It's like, dude, I was there. And, and you need to learn. You are not being wise. You know, I, if I had the chance to choose between being the wise person and the fool, I'd want to be the wise person. That's a difficult road to travel when you don't know the way. See, here's the thing. When it comes to figuring out the right path, I want you to write this down and remember it. Our direction, not our intention, determines our destination. You know, Jillian sent me the address for this place. She said, you know, here's the address. Don't go to the one in uh, Hemet. Apparently there's some confusion with people. And so I, you know, I researched and I looked and I realized actually it's actually pretty easy to go to the wrong one. Um, there's an address just like this address in Hemet that's like in the middle of a neighborhood. It's not a middle school where this church meets. So, and I guess someone else has done that before. And, you know, here's the thing about directions. It's really simple, right? If I wanted to get here, but I hopped on the 215 going the opposite direction, it doesn't matter how much I, in, I intended to share a little bit from God's word with you. It doesn't matter how much I intended to get my notes out of my cool water bottle. It doesn't matter how much I intended to do that. If my direction isn't going the right way, then my destination that I'll get to will be wrong. Because our direction not our intention. You have the best intentions in the world, but our direction, not our intention, determines our destination. Now, you know, so what does that mean? So I have two young boys. I didn't grow up with a dad. Okay? He left when I was eight. His loss, because I'm awesome. Okay? So my kids, they're going to grow up with their dad around. It's going to be great. And I just have this vision in my head. Okay? You ever do that thing where you're, like, you're, you're at a bar or at a Bible study 
very similar places. And you start talking about, you know, what would it be if we won the lottery? What would it be like? What would it be like if we won the lottery? You start to kind of dream about it. Well, I do the same thing, but with practical things. Man, you know, I'm, I'm a young dad. I have two young boys. I start to dream about, well, what, is it, what do I want my life to look like? You know, when I get older, you know, I, I know what I want it to be. I want to be the wise elder of the family. I want my boys to marry great girls. I want them to have a bunch of kids. I want a big wooden table. And, and, and I want to get the whole family together for holidays or whatever. I want them to, live, I want, them to want to live close. And, and I want to sit there at the head of the table with my beautiful wife. And, and I want to be the wise elder statesman of my family. I want them, my boys to come to me to ask advice about college and career and dating. I want them to come to me to ask advice about who they should marry and what ring to pick out and how do you pick the right diamond. I want my kids to ask those questions. That's the destination I want to get to. And I'm never going to get there, no matter how much I intend to, if I fool around on their mom and have a bunch of affairs. Because my direction, not my intention, determines my destination. You know, I, I want to have a really loving marriage. I want to have a lot of intimacy. Not just physical intimacy, which is awesome. I want to have spiritual intimacy in our marriage. I want to be able to sit there and have a conversation, not feel if our kids aren't around, we have nothing to talk about, that I'm there with a stranger. I don't want to hang out with my kid's mom. I want to hang out with my wife who happens to have kids. And so I, I want to have this intimacy in our marriage and here's the thing. I, I want to grow old. I want her to still want to hang out with me. I want to get on, you know, rocking chairs. And like, I just want to be awesome old people. I want to just, you know, shoot rubber bands at kids. And she'd be like, be like, he, my, my husband never did that. Like, she's totally like my, like my cover. She's the best. I'm never going to get to that destination if she always knows that work or career, or the next speaking engagement, or the podcast is prior, or the next surfing, you know, the, the, the waves are big today, babe, sorry, or sitting there and having my coffee and reading the newspaper, if that's always prioritized above her and she knows it, I'll never have that kind of intimacy in our marriage, physical or otherwise. That our direction, not our intention, determines our destination. You know, when I was young and dating, you know, having boundaries in our relationship were really important. Because, you know, I wanted her to look at a guy that she was going to marry, uh, maybe. You know, we didn't know it. I knew that for, after the first date, it took her a little while, but, you know, she, I knew. And I wanted her to marry a guy and know that she was dating a guy that respected her, that really believed the things the Bible says and, like, actually living them out. That, you know, wasn't going to be the, oh, my God, I can't believe we made this mistake. The passion just got so, it was just too much to bear. Oh my, and, like, let's just pray never to do that again and, but, and just pushing every boundary you can. I don't want that. I didn't want that for her. I don't want that for you. If you're a young person, you're dating, I don't want that for you. Because our directions, not our intentions, determine our destinations. If you want to have a godly dating relationship, and you intend to have this godly dating relationship that leads to a godly you know, engagement, and, and you're making sure that Jesus is the center, but, but the direction you're on is kind of pushing every boundary, making sure you're alone every chance you get, making excuses, your direction, not your intention, determines your destination. You know, when I was in school, I wanted to start a Bible club at my school. I wanted to be one of the guys at my school who was respected as a leader in my school. I wanted to start this Bible club. I wanted people to look at me and kind of trust me when I was, I was young, but I was teaching out of God's word. I wanted them to trust me. You know, maybe in the business world, like you want to be the trusted person. You want to be the person at your business, your office, whatever, that when people look at you, they're like, Man, there's something a little different about you. I don't know what it is. Did you, did you have Mexican last night? Or are you a Christian? Like, there just seems to be something different, okay? I don't know what it is. And you want to be that person. And you're never going to get there if you gossip about the people at your school, if you spread rumors, if you gossip about your coworkers and who's just not carrying their weight on the latest whateversville. 
It's never going to happen because our direction, not our intention, determines our destination. You know, here's the thing. In Proverbs 7, there's this really quick story I want to share with you. Solomon, wisest guy that ever lived. Made mistakes later in his life, but at this point, wisest guy ever. Because God gave him that kind of wisdom. And he was there as the king of Israel, the same role that his father, King David, had, a man after God's own heart who still made mistakes. And he was there at the lattice of his window, most likely the same window David was looking out of when he saw Bathsheba bathing on her roof. Solomon was looking out that same window as king, and he sees a young man walking down the road. And being this young man, he he refers to him as a young man who lacked sense. Not that not anything was wrong with him being young, but he lacked time and experience. More importantly, he lacked the ability to glean experience from other people who made mistakes. So this young man was walking down the road, and Solomon could see it from above, and he saw the woman who was kind of known in town walking in his direction. And they meet up, and this woman says, Oh my gosh! This is so great. I found you. I've been, I've been looking all day for you. My husband, he's gone on a trip. He's not going to be back for a while. You should come over to my house. Like we should drink of love till morning. This is what the Bible says. Very poetic. Come on over. And he's probably thinking, oh my gosh, this is incredible. Like I'm just some normal guy. This beautiful woman's coming to find me. In his mind was probably this rock star ballot was playing in his mind. But Solomon looking from above, it was the theme music to Jaws. Because Solomon knew exactly the direction that he was going and what it was going to lead to. Yeah, when we're in it, we, we can't, we don't, we're not looking far ahead. We're not applying the wisdom we have. We make mistakes, sure. And Solomon saw this in this young man and knew the direction he was going and likened it to not a rock star who's having an incredible night, likened it to a deer that was caught in a noose. She's like, wait, 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 deer caught in a noose? What are you talking about? This is a beautiful woman. This is awesome. I'm single. This is great. And Solomon likens it to a, a, a bird pierced with arrows caught by the hunter. And the young man's like, what are you talking about? This is insane. No, things are great. They're okay. But Solomon knew that our direction, not our intention, determines our destination. You know, I want to take a look back at Proverbs 3. This is what it says. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. There are some paths not worth taking. Sometimes we get on the wrong path. Listen, I've been on there. And once you're on the wrong path long enough, you make enough mistakes, and you're like, well, I don't know how to get out. I don't know how to get off this path. I've been on it so long, I don't know what to do. Like, I've been making mistake after mistake, and, you know, I don't know who to talk to. I don't know how to get help. You know, here, here's a couple quick things. Number one, you got to get a mentor in your life. Get an accountability group. I like being in small groups. Everyone should be in a small group. But I'm talking like a smaller group. Like Jesus had his 12, but then he had like his three people that he was really close to. And then he had um, uh, John, who was the disciple that he loved. And so you need to get two or three people that have enough dirt on you to bury you, but they don't. That's That's what real accountability is. People who have enough dirt on you to bury you, but they don't. People that can come to you and say, listen, I know what you've been doing. I know what you're doing and you need to stop it. You're tricking everyone else, but you're not tricking me because I know Jim here, Sally, we're in your little group. We know they, they should be gender specific. Don't have girls and guys groups, but you should have like these couple people that can look at you and say, I know what's going on. I know you're, you should have the Nathan in your life who can come into your room and say, no, you know, let me tell you a story. Oh my gosh, that's so shocking. 
That story is about you. You're the one doing it. You should have that kind of person, a mentor, an accountability person. If you don't, you will find yourself often on the unwise road. Here's another one. This is really, really simple. Find someone older than you. And if you're a young person, that's really easy to do. That's most people. But if you're a little older, it's going to be more difficult. But you need to find someone older than you and not just be someone who learns and gains wisdom by the mistakes you make. If you're a young person, you make mistakes. Listen, I was, I'm young. I make mistakes. Not just learn from your mistakes. That's an aspect of wisdom. Being able to learn from other people's mistakes, that is the true result of being a, a person receptive to wise ideas. Can you talk with someone 10 years older than you, hear the stories they share, and not say, oh, that'll never happen to me. Like, you're, what's wrong with you? You call yourself a Christian doing that? Oh my God, I can't believe it. You say, oh my gosh, I don't, how can I learn from you to not make those same mistakes? Give me the wisdom from the road you traveled so I can avoid those roads as well. You know, Jesus is so good. That's why I love Jesus. In Luke 2.52, talks about Jesus. One of the only verses that talks about Jesus as a kid, talks about him as a student, a junior higher. This is what it says about Jesus, that he grew in wisdom and in stature all the days of his life. All the days of his life, he grew in wisdom and in stature. Why? Because he needed to travel the road that he knew that you would travel. Let me tell you a quick story. There's this guy walking down the road, falls into a pit. It's a very steep pit, can't get out. Our guy starts yelling to the doctor walking by, doctor, doctor, help me, help me. The doctor looks down the pit, writes a prescription, throws it down the pit, walks off. Our guy's crushed. Then, then a pastor comes walking by. Our guy starts yelling to the pastor, 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 help me, I'm stuck in this pit, help me. And the pastor writes him a little prayer, throws it down the pit and walks off. Our guy's crushed. And then our guy's standing there and he sees his friend Tony walking by. He starts yelling, Tony, Tony, help me. I'm in this pit. Tony looks down in the pit. How did you get stuck in this pit? He's like, I don't know. I need help to get out of here. And Tony jumps down in the pit. And our guy looks at Tony. He's like, Tony, are you crazy? Now we're both stuck down here. And Tony looks at him and says, yeah, but I've been down here before and I know my way out. Jesus knows his way out. So here's the thing. You have access to wisdom. Doesn't matter if you're young, doesn't matter if you're old, I don't care what grade you're in or what stage of life you're in. Everyone has access to wisdom. Pray, ask, God gives generously to those who ask. You have access to wisdom. You can become wise. There are people you can connect with, mentors. You can get in a little accountability group. You can talk about wisdom more. You can grow in wisdom and decision making. You're never too young or never too old to start, regardless of the decisions or mistakes you made. Everyone has access. But when you make mistakes that you feel are insurmountable and you find yourself in a situation you don't know how to get out of, Jesus traveled that road too and he knows his way out. Everyone has access to wisdom. God gives generously to those who ask. And when you screw it all up and you will and you don't know what to do, Jesus has traveled that road and he knows his way out. Your direction, not your intention, determines your destination. So the band is coming back up. We're going to do a couple more songs before we leave. I want to leave you with this. Talk about this today when you go home. As you're driving home or you go to lunch or maybe someone conned you to show up here because they promised you lunch, make sure they deliver. And talk about this. Talk about what is the destination you want for your life. What's the destination you want for the next five years, for the next week? 
And you know what? Maybe that means making some changes. This is really easy. You get a sheet of paper. I will give you a sheet of paper. They're in the seats right in front of you. Steal a pen. Don't worry. They'll charge it to me. It's no big deal. And sit with them and just jot down some notes. What destination do we want to get to? Is our direction helping us get there? Or is it just our intentions? Are we hoping it all works out? And talk about it. Talk to your kids about it. Talk to your spouse about it. Talk to other trusted friends. Be willing to hear the hard truths and then be willing to change. Because our direction, not our intention, determines our destination. I love you guys. Thanks for being here. Let's stand on up and worship together.